You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. He's got his first as a Canuck. No, he, was obviously, he was great tonight for us. It's Carlson with an empty net. Beautiful move. Shoots and scores. We're disappointed that we lost tonight. It's been a while since we've done that. You lose. Good day, sir. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by... North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler, pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Wait for it. Kintech. Yeah. We got a big show today. I'm excited. Canucks start phase two. Of this unforgettable regular season with a win over Carolina last night. We'll get into all that in a bit in case you didn't hear the post-game show. Uh, 6.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join us on the program. He, of course, the host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, We'll go around the NHL. The other big news from last night, Edmonton's reign of terror over the National Hockey League is over. They fall one win short of tying the all-time record for most wins consecutively in a single season. This just this team just cannot win at the seventeenth game, right? They can't they can't just, clutch up? They can't. I mean, you win all those other games, but if you can't win the big one, I don't know what kind of team you are. Uh, at seven thirty, it's not like you only need sixteen to win the cup either. Right? Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I forgot about that number. Shut up, Laddie. Shut up, Laddie. Uh, 7.30, Dave Hall is going to join us. First-time guest here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. He is a prospects writer for Canucks Army. We will check in on the baby Canucks, the Abbotsford Canucks, and their all-star, their all-star MVP, Archdeep Baines, and all the other baby Canucks. They get back in action this weekend in Colorado. So we'll talk to Dave Hall, first-time guest, about that at 7.30. And then another first-time guest on the show at 8 o'clock, Jason, royalty. Well, Municipal royalty. Ken Sim, the mayor of Vancouver, is going to join us to talk about preparations. Yes, already for the 2026 FIFA World Cup. In case you haven't heard, Vancouver, not a big deal. Getting seven games at the 2026 World Cup. How many Toronto get again? Six. How many Seattle get again? Six. Eat it, both of you. Ken Sim's going to join us at 8 o'clock. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm... uh... I'm curious to ask him what kind of preparations are already underway, um, how much work the city has to do, what it's like to work with FIFA. And also, one of the things I want to ask him is, what is planned for all the fans that won't be able to get into BC Place. Right. Like where where can they assemble and how can we make sure how can we make sure that that doesn't go sideways? Can we just invite everyone downtown? Yeah, unregulated, right. Un- totally unregulated, drinking all day, whatever. Everyone, what, what everyone, go wrong? Everyone will behave themselves. It'll be yeah, fine. it's a summer. The weather's good. People, yeah, we just trust they're having a good time. You just have to check their ID, and if it says anarchist Y or N, if yeah. N is good, Y is bad. <laughs> Could you please fill out this form, sir? Uh, also today, speaking of big events at BC Place, the Rugby Sevens are coming to BC Place from February twenty third to twenty fifth. Every day this week, we are giving away a pair of tickets to the entire three-day tournament. So if you want in on that, you know what? Because uh, I think it's been tough for people to send in some of the emojis. If you send in a ticket emoji, a rugby ball emoji, or a Canada flag emoji into your what we learned, hashtag it, WWL, we will enter you into the contest to win a pair of passes for all three days of the Rugby Sevens at BC Place from February 23rd to 25th. Working in reverse on the guest list, Dave Hall from Canucks Army, 630 Jeff Merrick, yeah, big show ahead. Without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because.
What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. The newest of the acquired Vancouver Canucks, Elias Lindholm, scored two power play goals in his debut with his brand new team. The Canucks extend their point streak to 12 games and they win 3-2 against the Carolina Hurricanes at PNC Arena on Tuesday night. Yeah, the Canucks improved to 16-7-3 on the road, which is just a ridiculously good record away from Rogers Arena, where they happen to be 18-4-2. And And it all adds up to, in 50 games, the Canucks have won 34 of them. We have played the Detroit fan blogger 34 times this year. Yes, the winning goal by JT Miller was a bit fortunate, but this was not a lucky win. The power play now featuring uh, Elias Lindholm, who's a good tipper. Did you know this? Yeah. But, but did you know beforehand that he was a good no, tipper? No. I had no idea. I was like, is this Tony Tanti out there? It was amazing. Um, came up huge. The power play came up huge when it needed to. And Thatcher Demko was a brick wall in the third when Carolina pushed for the tying goal. The Canucks blocked all sorts of shots. Um, but you know, Lindholm coming up huge when it needed to on the, on the power play where all the Canucks big guns are and Thatcher Demko in goal. Those are your star players getting the job done in what Drance would call high leverage situations. I like still don't the, understand what it means. Okay. It means the parts of the game, where, you know, a big play or, or, or a goal or a big save at those key moments is ah, important. Right. So, so it's like, not just your average run-of-the-mill moment in the game. Yeah. It was a, you know, the game is hanging in the balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it like be a leveraged lo- either way. So a low-leverage goal would be like, it's 5-1, and now it's 6-1. Got it. I right? now understand, understand leverage. understand that? And okay. to a lesser degree, Drance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it wasn't just the power play, and it wasn't just goaltending. There were also stretches during the game where the Canucks dominated at 5-on-5. Five five. One of those stretches ended with Teddy Bluger drawing a hooking penalty. Rod Brindamore didn't like the call. No. But the Canucks were you know, owning the puck in Carolina's end, and that led to Lindholm's first power play goal. Petey drew the other key penalty on Carolina. When he fought for body position and was hauled down by Tavo Teravainen, rather aggressively too. So I know Lindholm and Demko will get the most love after that game, and rightly so. But I cannot stop praising that third line. It's been a major, major reason the Canucks are where they are. Mm-hmm. And I threw this out on Twitter last night. Imagine if they'd successfully traded Garland. Yeah. He's become such an important part of the team, along with Bluger and Joshua, but they couldn't give Garland away this offseason. Ditto for Brock Besser. It's it's just so great to see those guys succeed. Each of them has put in a lot of hard work. They were challenged by the team to, you know, especially we heard the stories about Besser, um, come back in better shape. You know, maybe don't just hang out. Um, put in the work and it's great to see both those guys have success Um, as an aside from all this positivity more positivity that was a really good hockey game Yep, and it's so nice to watch quality hockey involving the Canucks we've watched so many dog games the past few years where you could tell the intensity wasn't there some of that was the Canucks, you know, being downtrodden and kind of clueless out there. But the other part of it would be when they played the good teams, the good teams would be like, eh, whatever, it's the Canucks. No, that's right? a good point. That's you know? a really good point, actually. And talk it after the game, um, compared it to a playoff atmosphere. And, like, <laughs> a few people have done that in the past few years and they've been laughed at, but yeah. but it was true. I, I, I'm i watching this game and going, this is great preparation for the playoffs in terms of how every inch of the ice was fought for and how physical it was and just 
the quality of the players out on the ice. I don't know if you caught it yesterday, but when we had Kane's general manager, Don Waddell, on the show, he very subtly mentioned that, oh, we got a big test tonight. You know, Vancouver's coming in. This is one of the sort of premier teams in the league. And a couple people texted it into the Dunbar Lumber text line. They're like, I can't believe, you know, rival executives are talking about the team like this. But that's what the Canucks are right now atop the standings. And you mentioned the quality of game. And I want to play the talk at audio now, Laddie, because he was asked not just about um, what it felt like in terms of maybe being that, that playoff-esque feel, but he also lauded his team for the way that they approached it and the way that they limited Carolina, who I will remind you was one of the hottest teams in the NHL going in to the All-Star break, limited Carolina through those first two from Rick Tockett postgame following a 3-2 win over the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, let's roll them now. Well, yeah, we scout them pretty well, how they play. Um, they like to throw a lot of pucks in the net, and I thought after they only have nine shots, I thought... That's hard to do against Carolina. I mean, they're a heavy volume shot team. But, um, you know, I thought we played behind them. Um, we got a couple of lines that were tired, got extended. They, but I think we held the, we didn't bend, don't break kind of defense. Yeah, I think especially you want to get into that physical hockey. Um, and you got to use the bench. Um, and I shortened it at the end. But um, when you play Carolina fast teams, that heavy volume, you know, you got to use your bench. It was it was a fast-paced game out there uh, for 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 ten days off. Both teams, I thought, it was like a little playoff atmosphere. And if you listen to the rest of the post game, actually, it was interesting. I mean, they they finished with twelve shots after two periods, not nine. So he was close, but uh, a little bit off. But I think the point remains is that um, as the team continues on, with an obvious eye to the postseason, we're going to get more and more references and illusions and coming in the morning after a game and being like, this is the kind of thing you need to do to win in the mm-hmm. postseason, or this is what makes a playoff team successful or not successful. And I think that was a nice blueprint, at least through the first 40. And then really in the third period, what you can expect if you have a lead in the playoffs where a team's going to make that inevitable push, because here's the thing, when you go to the postseason, more often than not, all the teams are good. All the teams are going to have the capability yeah. to make that push in the third period. So, well, Especially when you're playing on the road, too, right? You're absolutely. going to get that extra push from the home crowd, and there's going to be desperation, and that was naturally going to happen. Yes. Like, that game could have gone either way last night. Sure. Um, you know, if the Hurricanes had won that game, it would have been like, yeah, well, you know, no complaints there. But I don't think that it was a lucky win for the Canucks or it was, you know, like, again, um, a number of things you can say like, well, the power play won it for them. Okay, well, how did they get that power play? Right. It was by having the puck at five on five. Right, and having those good shifts and drawing those penalties in the offensive end, you're going to draw more penalties. And then, of course, you have to have a good power play. And then right at the end, when you're trying to protect that one-goal lead and the other team, they're talented too, and they want to win the game, and they are going to push. And that's where kind of game management comes into play. And it doesn't really matter if you get outshot as long as you're doing everything you possibly can to make the right decisions to ultimately win the game. And it's okay to admit like, hey, we've got a good goalie. Mm -hmm. So let's make it as easy as possible for him. And we're pretty sure he's going to make the saves. Block your shots. Manage the puck well. Um, was it perfect from the Canucks? No, it's not. But it wasn't. But hockey's, a, a, you know, hockey's not a perfect. You know, there, there's never perfect execution in a game, and the Canes had their chances. But that's why the Canucks have invested so much in Thatcher Demko mm-hmm. right from the start, from using a draft pick on that guy to developing them the right way paying him well, committing to him, whereas other teams, you know, they sometimes handle their goaltending a little bit differently from an asset management. They're just kind of like, yeah, we'll take this guy. You know, the Canucks have dealt with it in a different way, and that last night was one of the reasons why it's so nice to have one of the best goalies. Okay, the new guy. You mentioned the power play. Elias Lindholm steps in. Two power play goals. Now, I want to play the audio, not from Rick Tockett, 
but from Quinn Hughes, because I thought this was really interesting. Uh, you know, Hughes is a bit of a hockey nerd, and he's got the immediate recall on numbers and what guys have done in their past. And this is a sort of back and forth with the reporters in his scrum talking about Lindholm. And I think there's a couple of key takeaways. I'll let everybody listen to it first, and we'll pick it up on the other side. This is Quinn Hughes, the captain, talking about his newest teammate and two-goal scorer, uh, Elias Lindholm. I just think that he's he's there and um, he's obviously really a really skilled player where he can get those tips and um, if I probably shoot down 50 pucks, he'd probably tip 49 of them, you know, so it's the type of guy we're dealing with. He drew the first one back towards goal. That's a play that not a lot of people can execute. Were you aware that he could pull a puck back like that? I mean, I know he's a very skilled and talented player. I mean, he had 42 goals two years ago, so that, do, that doesn't just happen. And um, he made a great tip. And, you know, I think the main thing was him being there and being patient enough to um, sit there and wait for the puck to come. So this is kind of the exciting part now when you actually get to watch the guy play because all due respect to the analysis that we had prior to him playing a regular season game for the Canucks, mm-hmm. it was mostly a 200-foot player ad nauseum. And then smart, high hockey IQ. But you really want to... He's pretty big. Yeah. There's a lot of things you're like, oh, didn't think about that. Oh, didn't know that. Um, I would not have suggested going into this. And again, my knowledge of the league is decent, but I don't know the ins and outs of every single player. Um, Just sort of an under... Having done some reading afterwards, sort of an understood, very underrated, but very talented net front presence Mm -hmm. who has produced on the power play before. Now, I bring this up because... And the reason I brought up the Hughes audio is that the clip that I loved was if I put 50 pucks on net, he's probably going to tip 49 of them. Right. And what, yeah. what have we seen from Hughes this year is an increased volume in shooting, increased goal total, obviously. But with that man advantage, which has been good this year, mm-hmm. but has it gone through its lulls, adding yet another facet and dynamic and ability to it's. I mean, you're talking about gravy for a hockey team, right? Like we had a good power play before. Now we've got a guy that can really convert some of these Hughes point shots because what is Hughes good at? Walking the blue line, making, you know, forwards miss with his little shimmy moves and everything and getting pucks through. Mm-hmm. Having Lindholm there to be able to tip, it's like, wow, that's another aspect of the game, especially come playoff time where when do more cliches come out? Greasy goals. Yeah. Pucks in front, you know, get tips, get all this stuff. It's just... You don't want to go overboard with one game. The no. guy's going to probably have his struggles, and he'll probably have some games where he's ineffective. But if they've added another layer of offense and another wrinkle that will help them specifically in the postseason, that is awesome. So I'm very hyped about that. Halford, I have a question for you, and it might seem like it's kind of out of left field here. Sure. Do you have, when you're when you're coaching soccer, mm-hmm. you know you and Talk had had that uh, conversation uh, last week. and Me and Talk. Talking and, sock. And, and like, as soon as he brought up the triangles, you were like, that sounds like soccer. Yep. Um, do you have to teach the kids a lot about gaining body position in soccer? Not only offensively to hold on to the ball, but also when you're trying to get the ball back. And the reason I ask you is all the guys on the third line are really good at, you know, gaining body position in order to win puck battles. You can see Lindholm does it too. There's no fishing for the puck. You know, Petey gained body position to um, draw the penalty on Tara Vinan. Bluger did it uh, to draw a penalty. There's a saying in hockey called position before possession, which Mm -hmm. means, like, you don't just go for the puck. You gain body position first, and all the best 200-foot players do it. Like, if you ever go and Google position before possession, it'll be a bunch of, like, clips of... You know, well, Sid, it'll be uh, Bergeron and Marchand, mm-hmm. like all these guys that know how to play the game the right way, and and they're not they're not fishing for the puck, they're not standing outside a scrum and just kind of like poking at it and you know just hoping to chip it by someone. Like they they get in there first. Yep. Do you have to do that in soccer? Yeah, you do. I mean, you the I won't go too far down the road of like when you start teaching kids this element of the game because that's not really the point of the conversation. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. But um, what you're seeing right. Right now, where my kid is at, it's that 12, 13, 14-year-old age range where the size dimensions of the players is so crazy because some kids hit their right. growth spurts early. And that's There's where, Garland's out there. There's Dakota Joshua's, all so sorts of that's, different. That's really key because the Garland-sized kids out there 
um, are starting to realize that, well, I've got tons of skill and I can dance with the ball at my feet. And it means absolutely nothing yeah. because I don't have the physical positioning mm-hmm. to be able to do the things that I want to do. And you can see the wheels starting to turn in their head um, there. Yeah, there's lots of things that you have to. I think the biggest thing you have to understand or that the kids have to understand is that there is going to be a physical element to the game. Yeah. And that once kids realize that they can lean on you and take possession to counteract that. Right? I just see that such an improvement with the Canucks now. Well, they, I think it's I think a lot of it has to do with personnel. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, right? Like there there are certain guys. But I think I I do think the coaching staff has taught them a lot. Yeah, well, that, I mean, here's the thing. Garland by any but rights, but you're right about the personnel thing. Yeah, Garland by any rights shouldn't be able to be driving a third line that plays the way that it does at his size. Mm-hmm. He should be getting forced off all kinds of pucks, but he's very good at utilizing a low center of gravity, and he's got an, a really innate ability to um, leverage guys. Like he leverages himself all the time, yeah. and he, he puts gets him himself between, between the defender and the puck. Right? Yeah, 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 and that's the big thing. And then when you can take that skill set and have it click with two other guys, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it goes from being, well, he's doing a nice job, but it's kind of ineffective because it's not translating into anything to, well, now he's becoming a play driver for Bluger and Joshua. And it it's all because of chemistry and it's all because of fit. Um, we're going to talk with Jeff Merrick about some of the other NHL stories, but let's uh, just celebrate for a moment that the Edmonton Oilers' reign of terror is over for now. Mm. Um, speaking of good hockey games, yeah. that was a good hockey game. <laughs> there was a lot of intensity in Vegas. Uh, the Vegas crowd was ready for that, and they wanted to put an end to the Oilers' streak. And the Oilers might have been at a bit of a disadvantage in that they had to go through the All Star break and then right back. And Vegas was waiting for them in a really loud arena. And Vegas is. I don't know if you've heard, they won the Stanley Cup, so they're a pretty good team. Can confirm. Despite the fact that they've got some key injuries right now. Um, it was a good game. It was an intense game. And Vegas came out and top, on top in the end. And the Oilers' winning streak is over. They fall just shy of matching the 92-93 Penguins' 17-game winning streak. Um, what did you think of the game? Uh, it was, man, so tight, like a playoff game tight in the third period. Jack <laughs> Michaels, who was on the call, must have mentioned, I don't know, 10 or 12 times how difficult it was just to get anything through on Vegas. And that was a cross-seam pass, entering the zone, uh, really just completing any sort of pass that wasn't just banking it around the perimeter. There was no space and no time anywhere because that's what Vegas does, right? They know how to play in front of their goalies. Yeah, and Very that's... Easy. I have a new underrated, most underrated player in the NHL. Who's that? Nick Waugh. Yeah, so he scored the eventual so winning goal last night, I think. I'm he, not too sure. He's. I mean, he's been there. Hasn't he been forced into their like first-line center role with Eichel out and Carlson out? And Vegas locked him up for... Three million bucks a season for mm-hmm. three or four more he's years. He's very good. He's a he's a really good player, he, and and he was part of the you know the the great depth that Vegas had that helped them win the Stanley Cup. Um, and we saw we saw how important that depth was, mm-hmm. and having good players in in the bottom six, useful players, um, efficient players in terms of the cap, how that helped Vegas win the cup. And it's one of the reasons why I spend so much time talking about this third line. Mm-hmm. Like, I line is a major, 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 major reason why the Canucks have been able to have such success this year. So I want to touch on one thing here, and I want to play the audio that we've got here. This is the call of William Carlson's empty netter that, I mean, it was funny listening to the broadcast. They essentially conceded the winning streak right here, even though there was about 35, 40 seconds left. Just listen to the reaction, the celebration, and then what Jack Michaels has to say about the way Vegas celebrated. Uh, this is it. The end of Edmonton's 16-game winning streak. Audio right here. Golden Knights come up ice. It's Carlson with an empty net. Beautiful move. Shoots and scores. 3-1 Vegas. 33 seconds left in the streak. And the Golden Knights are celebrating like they've won an overtime playoff. You all heard that, right? 
Oh, he big mad. You heard that, right? Now, I just want to bring this up only because a quick glance at the NHL standings. If the game, if the season was to end the way the standings are right now, your first round matchup in the Pacific Division would be the second place Vegas Golden Knights against the third place Edmonton Oilers. It's, it is. It is. It is vitally important that the Canucks win the division. Yep. They are seven points up on Vegas with a game in hand, which is awesome. Mm, Yeah. And they're uh, 14 points up on the Edmonton Oilers. Now, the Oilers have a bunch of games in hand on everybody, but here's the thing. Um, There was a feel. I wasn't there. Obviously, I was at home. But there was a feel in Vegas last night that that was significantly more than just a regular season game. And it was. There was the the win streak on the line. There was the, the playoff matchup from last year. There was a lot of non-hockey people on my like, hey, I'm going to a hockey game tonight. What Warren Sharp, who's a very noted NFL right. uh, guy, he's like, I haven't been to a hockey game in 10 years. There's a lot of people in Vegas walking around in McDavid jerseys like, what's the deal here? Like, this was a big game. Mm-hmm. And they played it like a big game. It was There was not much to choose between the two teams. It was razor thin margin dif- difference between them. And all I kept saying was, this is awesome. Stay on the trajectory you are and then beat each other up in the first round, right? Because that's what we want now. You know, a lot of people have have brought up the fact that the Oilers have played so few games as an advantage for them. They're like, oh, they got all these games in hand. They'll, you know, they've got more games to make up points. And that's true, obviously. But it also means a a lot heavier schedule Mm -hmm. for them in the second half of the season, right? They got a lot of back-to-backs, right? right? Yeah, you got to play a lot of games. Yeah, Yeah. so So. I wonder if that's going to wear on them at all. Hopefully. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Ken Sim, the mayor of Vancouver, to find out more about the prep that's already going into the World Cup. So joining us now, as mentioned, Mayor of Vancouver, Ken Sim, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Ken. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing today? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Let's start big picture here. What does hosting all these World Cup games, seven World Cup games, mean for the city of Vancouver? It's going to be massive, and I do not think that Vancouverites appreciate how large this is going to be. Uh, We have seven games, uh, including a round of 32 and a round of 16, which are knockout games. Um, You know, people think, uh, you know, each game is the size of a Super Bowl, and they are completely wrong. Um, The average Super Bowl draws about uh, 115 million viewers. Uh, An opening round game for World Cup draws about 350 million, and it just builds from there. So, like, literally, we are getting the equivalent of 30 to 40 Super Bowls in the city of Vancouver over a month-long period. It's going to be insane. What does that mean for businesses in the city? Uh, A few things. So leading up to uh, uh, World Cup and about five years after, we estimated, and it's going to change because we got more games, but we estimated the economic impact would be about a billion dollars to the local economy, about 900,000 visitors uh, uh, through Vancouver. And so so that's going to be even larger. But uh, I think, um, you know, when you think of Expo 86, when you think of the Olympics, uh, it it was basically an an advertisement for Vancouver. And we showed the world um, that we were here. And a month-long, um, you know, World Cup with over six billion people that follow soccer, and they're going to see Vancouver uh, highlighted for a month. It, it's going to be huge for the local economy, not only during World Cup, but for you know decades after. So, how can you, as the mayor and your staff, take advantage of all the times the city will be shown to a global audience? How can we make the best impression possible on all the visitors to our city? Well, I think there's, well, that, that's like a, a big question. Um, I, I think Vancouverites um, um, should be happy to know that uh, we have a huge team working on it, and it's not just the city of Vancouver. You know, you have the Canadian Soccer Association, you have um, city of Vancouver folks, you have Destination BC, you have Pavco, you have the province, you have YVR. And so the planning's in place, and uh, we're just going to make sure that we pull off an amazing um, games in 2026. Uh, you know, when you when you speak with, uh, we, we've had conversations with FIFA, and they're already using Vancouver as a role model city, um, pointing to it as an example with respect to, let's say, communications um, and putting the brand out there. And so um, we're doing a great job already. And by we, I mean the whole community. And I think, uh, you know, uh, as it relates to what locals can do and what businesses can do, just get ready. And when, uh, you know, when the world comes here, let's put on our best face and be ready for it. And if we knock the cover off the ball, 
tourists will come uh, for generations to come, and they'll visit our city. Um, how much guidance do you get from FIFA? Uh, you know, we do get quite a bit of guidance. Uh, they do have a pretty uh, strict set of rules. Um, and a lot of this I can't disclose because we're mm. bound by confidentiality agreements. But they, they put on a pretty good show. They've done it before, and they learn um, with every successive game that they put on. Uh, on top of that, you know, Vancouver is no stranger to hosting uh, incredible events. It started with that Expo 86, uh, then the Olympics. We've actually hosted three World Cups. Uh, the last one was the Women's World Cup in, what, 2016. And so we do have a lot of muscle memory here, and we've learned by doing, and so um, we can bring that to the table as well. And, uh, you know, um, t- together, it's, I, I think it's just going to be fabulous. When you imagine the World Cup coming in, in two years, um, how, how is the city and how are all the organizers going to make it fun for all the fans who won't be inside BC Place for the games? That is a great question. And that's why we go to a bunch of different events, um, you know, to see how they're hosted. You know, went to Qatar um, to see uh, the activations and what worked well and what didn't work well. And you're right. Um, most individuals, um, it, it's going to be challenging because we only have uh, so many uh, seats in that stadium. And, you know, there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people in our city that are going to want to participate. So I would liken it kind of uh, like to a Super Bowl uh, from that perspective like I, I think of this weekend all the people that are going to be going down to las vegas and very few of them are going to have tickets but they are going to experience um the atmosphere that's the super bowl they're going to go to the activations put on by the nfl and other organizations and they're really going to soak it up and so we need to be ready and we need to do a great job so we can welcome the world but also we can give uh, all our local businesses you know a boost in the arm so to speak uh, it, it's it's a huge opportunity um, for the local economy to really celebrate it and welcome um, guests, but also make sure that residents of Vancouver and the Lower Mainland and BC can have a great time, even if they do not have a ticket. And we're speaking to Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, Ken, so we know that the tournament's going to open uh, at the Azteca in Mexico. We know that the first Canada game is going to be at BMO Field in Toronto. We know where the final is going to be. So a lot of the key elements of the tournament have already been announced. One that hasn't is the actual draw, which is a huge thing. So I know you got confidentiality agreements with FIFA and whatnot, but do you have any insight or any idea that you could tell us or our listeners about the possibility of maybe the draw? being in Vancouver. Yeah, I, I can't mention anything. Um, well, I tried. You know, and, and, and don't read that the wrong way. Um, just, you know, I, even if uh, I knew, and, and I, if I did or didn't, I couldn't tell you. Um, but, you know, Ed, let's just put it this way. We are extremely happy for what we've gotten so far. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a home run. Um, you know, it, it, if we were to choose uh, the opening match versus two uh, home uh, Team Canada games, uh, we would choose two every single time. Right. Also, I, I think how the, uh, the table works, if we win the group, and I'm literally knocking on my head, knocking on wood right now, <laughs> um, the round of 32 <laughs> would be a, a Team Canada home game. And if we won that, uh, the round of 16 would be a Team Canada home game in Vancouver. So if we do incredibly well, we have four Team Canada games here. Regardless, we have a knock, we have two knockouts. Like we, we won the lottery already. And, um, you know, um, it'd it'd be great if we, uh, you know, won another lottery, so to speak. Um, Are you worried about everyone having a place to stay while in town? It's not like you can build a bunch of new hotels in the next two years. And I know there is a hotel room shortage in the city. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, stating the uh, the obvious, we do have constraints when it comes to hotel rooms. And while our council has pushed to have more um, hotel rooms uh, built and um, people are signing up now, a lot of these rooms will not be built till after 2026. And so, um, you know, we can... Um, T- you know, take a page out of, um, you know, Cutter's book, book, so to speak. They actually brought cruise ships in. So we can look at that. Um, we can look at, uh, you know, how we look at uh, Airbnb rules uh, during, uh, you know, during the World Cup. Um, we can also look at uh, how this uh, um, 
how the region gets involved because you don't just have to stay in Vancouver. You could um, stay in Burnaby. You can stay throughout the lower mainland. You can stay on the island. We have a fast ferry that goes to Nanaimo. We will do whatever it takes to make sure uh, that we have the most amount of rooms possible and people can get in and out of our city and enjoy the game, um, whether regardless if they have a ticket or not. Um, but we will have to roll up our sleeves and look at this problem a little differently. What is the state of tourism in Vancouver? Is it is it healthy? I know the pandemic was so hard for businesses, and now I, I worry about things like smoke in the summer and how much that impacts businesses. You know, do, do people now think about that if they're going to book a trip to Vancouver? I used to say that Vancouver's got the best summers in the world, but now, you know, I, you know, even when I'm planning my vacation, you know, do I take August off? Is it going to be smoky here? I sure hope we don't have smoke during the World Cup. Yeah, you know, and unfortunately, this is the new reality. And it's not just um, uh, Vancouver. It's it, it's everywhere, like it, be it Europe, North America, Australia, Asia. Um, that's just the new reality. And um, those are things that we don't necessarily, well, we, we don't control it. Just mm-hmm. if it happens, it happens. And we have to be prepared for it. And I do remember during the Women's World Cup, we it was smoky. And so... Um, that being said, we still hosted a pretty successful Women's World Cup, and you know we'll deal with that challenge uh, when we have it. And uh, when it uh, comes to the tourism sector, yeah, it was it was a tough time during COVID, and I do think uh, the industry is coming back, and we still have uh, challenges that we have to address to make it uh, easier for businesses to do business in the city of Vancouver. That way, they can be successful, and um, you know it helps us put on a good show, and it's good for everyone. Now, hooliganism isn't the problem that it used to be in soccer, um, where if you were a host city, you were like, please don't let England be in our city. Or, you know, like there were certain countries that you, you really didn't want to set up shop, but there are still skirmishes between groups at times. How will you work with the police to make sure that sort of thing doesn't happen or get out of control? Because you might not have like the institutional knowledge to deal with that type of fan rivalry. Will there be consulting with police in, in, in Europe that have more experience in that area? Yes, uh, and that's a great point. And so, you know, um, a lot of uh, time and efforts put into security. Uh, VPD, for example, they actually sent uh, two of our members to Doha to observe what was going on in their security infrastructure. And it will be a group effort. Uh, you know, VPD will be involved. RCMP will be involved. Our national, you know, um, you know, agencies will be involved and we will be working with uh, U.S. authorities as well and, um, you know, basically global um, uh, global infrastructure. And so uh, a lot of time and efforts put into that. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, Vancouver does also have a history of dealing with, uh, you know, um, you know, challenging events after Stanley Cup Finals uh, back in 94 and 2011. And so, uh, you know, terrible situation, but we can take that institutional knowledge and you wrap it all up uh, into one. And um, I'm very confident that we will be able to, ra- you know, proactively address issues uh, before they become issues and we'll be able to react to issues um, if they do become, um, you know, um, concerns. I know it's two years away, but it's still super exciting now that the picture is coming more into focus. Ken, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to do this today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Uh, That's Ken Sim, the mayor of Vancouver here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I tried to get him to confirm the the FIFA World Cup draw. That's the... the, Is that the rumor? It's the hot... I mean, it's not a rumor, but people are kind of piecing it together that like all these other sort of prominent cities have gotten Mm. things... Um, Do you remember how good Vancouver looked when they set the media center up um, overlooking Stanley Park and the water and the mountains there? Like that view during the Olympics was, you know, that was incredible. That's the other rumor. Oh, really? They might put the FIFA Media Center in Vancouver. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean, at the the convention center. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing Um, aesthetically, they want to be in Vancouver. Yeah, FIFA, because of the way that it looks and, and the dynamic of the city and where yeah. it ranks globally. And On TV, big, it looks amazing. Right? right. Like, all due respect to East Rutherford, New Jersey, 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's New York. Yeah, but, but that's New York. It's New York, right? I, mean, I know it make, is, but, I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, it's just like. I love people texting in, by the way. I mean, like, you really asking him about the smoke? Like, oh, are you not concerned about the smoke in summer? There's only one person. Oh, there's a couple people. I don't know. We need to stop paying less attention to the Dunbar Lumber text line. A reminder, yeah, if you want to get your. We need to stop paying less attention. <laughs> we need to stop paying attention to the Dunbar. We need to stop. We need to start paying less attention. Oh, okay. Right. We need to stop paying attention. Yeah. A reminder, if you want to win our contest today, text in to the Dunbar What's Lumber text line at 650-650. We are giving away uh, a pair of tickets every day this week to the Rugby Sevens. That's a three-day rugby extravaganza at BC Place, February 23rd to 25th. Uh, you can put in a ticket emoji, a rugby ball emoji. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a rugby ball emoji. <laughs> or, a tic- or a Canada flag emoji. Just put an emoji in, and you could possibly win the tickets. You also have to have a pretty good text as well. I think it's fascinating to um, go behind the scenes as much as you can in setting up an event like this. Oh, I, like you know, all the things that have to go right and all the things you have to think about. Logistical. Does everyone have a place to stay? Do you remember when they had that Super Bowl in Jacksonville and they're like, ah, we don't have enough hotels. Yeah, we are right? short on or, taxis. Yeah, that sort of thing. You know, um, I mean, that's pretty important. Um, and security, um, you know, we, we don't have the best history when it comes to sporting events. The Olympics was very well managed. Uh, there were plenty of police there, but you also have to understand the vibe of the Olympics. Like the Olympics doesn't have like a history of like, you know, there have been terrorist incidents at the Olympics that you have to be very mindful of, but it doesn't have like, you know, like street battles. We we've seen recently. I think it was in the Euros in Russia. Right, it's an like inevitability were, that it'll happen. Like there are just you know these fan groups get together and they're drinking all day in the sun, and then the plastic chairs start flying, and right. you know like it's just it's just what happens, and and it's such a different sporting environment and such a different sporting culture that not everyone is familiar with, which is why I wanted to know, like, do you go and consult? Do you go to, like, we should go to Millwall and talk about talk with their police about how you deal with it. I don't know if anyone listening has ever been to a premiership game, but I went to one a long time ago at Arsenal at their, own sta- at their old stadium, and if you were with the visitors, right, like, you took a separate train into the station – you went a completely separate way into the stadium. There were police on horseback keeping the two crowds together. And this was like Arsenal and uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Like yep. it wasn't it wasn't a big rivalry, but like you have to work together. We're not used to separating fan bases in North America. No. So happen. I don't know if they will even do that. Like I don't know how different the World Cup is from like a local derby in, in, in club soccer, but I know that if you get, you know, England and Germany in the same group, or maybe they're staying in your city, like there is the potential out there for trouble. And the VPD could be like, I don't know what's going on here. Well, right? okay. You know, that's what you don't want. There is an inherent randomness to the whole thing because rivalries can be born. Like it can be the, the spark. It'd just be like the lit the, the cauldron could be a real simple thing. Like, Oh, all of a sudden this match between uh, Morocco and Bolivia is to decide who goes through to the next round. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden, that clash becomes a potential powder keg. Yeah. And the respective supporters' bases just could clash before a match. That Those things happen. Um, there's also historical, geopolitical, traditional rivalries between countries that you have to take into account. Totally. I think Do you everyone, remember when, like, Iran, the last World Cup, what was the group with, like, Iran, the United States, England, and then there was one other country? No, I don't think it was Wales. Well, maybe it was Wales. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it was, it was. But it was kind of like, hey, yeah, it was a geopolitical storm, right? Potentially, like, yeah. Just be careful here. Um, the other thing that I think everyone needs to fully wrap their head around is what uh, Ken Kenny, as I like to call him, I've actually never called him that. Uh, Ken said at the beginning, talking about the just the volume of people that are going to consume this World Cup. I, all due respect to the 2010 Olympics, which were fantastic and global, they yeah. weren't. It, there's a there was there's a lot of 
countries, dare I say continents, <laughs> pay zero attention to the Winter Olympics that are going to be yeah. consumed, and I repeat, consumed by this World Cup. Because remember, this is no longer a 32-country World Cup. Mm-hmm. 48 countries are going to be represented at this World Cup. I don't think people understand the magnitude and scope of that. Yeah, This is over 100 matches. This is going to be a month-long thing. It is just, it's so much bigger. You you can't even really put Think of it, how many World Cup games you watched during the last World Cup. All of them? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's you know, me. I mean, some of them are going on at the same time, but most of them are staggered. Like, the most you'll have on at any one time really is two or three. I would imagine. I, I You know, I don't even know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Because with a 32-team World Cup, there are days where there are four matches in a day, and you're just consumed. You can watch... For I don't know upwards of six hours consecutively with forty eight teams in a round of thirty two knockout like this just becomes it's almost too big in a lot of ways which is some of the criticisms that have been lobbied against FIFA mm-hmm. it's like this tournament is too big it's too long there's too many countries involved the, the yeah. logistics just behind I mean think about it you're gonna have theoretically uh, visitors from well not forty eight countries because there's three so forty five countries yeah will be going to the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, mm-hmm. right? That's a, that's a lot of logistics that I'm not sure that everyone's prepared to deal with. Are we getting a bunch of texts about the World Cup into the Dunbar Lumber text line unsigned here? I just hope we get some heavyweights here in Vancouver. Me too. You know, I, I, want, I want the big dogs coming to Vancouver. And I think hosting seven games, including some knockout games, you're, ba- you're bound to get it, mm-hmm. right? You're bound to get it. I was a little disappointed with Canada's draw in the World Cup, just, I mean, with all due respect to Belgium and um, who else were they in with? Well, they ended up being in the, the best group of yes, the tournament. But, but no, I know. <laughs> At the end of it. But do you Morocco know I mean? ended up being the, the darlings of the tournament. No, but do you know what I mean, right? It was Canada, like, it was Canada Croatia, Belgium, and Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's with all due respect to Croatia that, you know, they, they always show up at these international tournaments. Um, Croatia was a tremendous story, too. They eliminated Brazil, right? Yeah, but... I get what you're saying. But, but it wasn't Brazil. You wanted Brazil... England, I didn't want Germany, England I but didn't you know what I mean. Yeah, Germany, though, like France or something like that. Yeah. You know, um, but, but if you look at the groups from twenty, there's seven games here. They're they're gonna be. You're gonna get at least one or two heavyweights. Like I get what the texter is saying. For yeah. example, Group A at uh, in Qatar or Qatar was Netherlands, Senegal, Ecuador, and then the hosts Qatar. So that's a group that if you're not a football aficionado, I'd say you'd probably be like, eh. Can but, people just be happy with what they get? No. That's why not, that's not we how just got works. the World Cup. Now you're nitpicking over the teams that we're gonna get. Yep. Yeah. Come on. You guys are insufferable sometimes. It. I'm not doing it. I understand the beauty of watching <laughs> Netherlands and Senegal. Yeah, the World well Cup, the who Netherlands cares what would be huge. I know, but that's right. Like, but you're saying like with Canada's group, you're like, eh. Like if that was Canada's group, if it was Canada, Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands, you'd be like, eh. I get right. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want one of like the global it's not You got the World Cup. Yes, I know. I'm excited for it. I understand the inherent beauty of everything, Greg. I don't want to see Nigeria here. I did not say that. That's what you said. Somebody in our text message. Why don't you want to see Nigeria? Somebody in our inbox. Headline, Greg does not care for Nigeria. (laughs) Second headline, Greg. No, they're a second-tier football club, you know? I just (laughs) Country, Greg. It's a country. I'm going to do a real quick what we learned, and I'm going to get back into hockey. And Laddie, I might actually need you for this one. I learned that Jonathan Quick is going to start for the New York Rangers tonight, and this will be his third straight start. And Peter Laviolette, this is all according to our friend Dan Rosen, um, said this was the tentative plan. Igor Shosturkin is getting work with the goalie coach Benoit Allaire. Laviolette said, Shesty is our guy, not Chesty. Shesty is our guy, but they wanted him to have time with Allaire. And Jonathan Quick has earned it. I was looking at uh, Shosturkin's number in the last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're bad. They're like well into the 800s. And remember him against the Canucks. He did not look particularly good against the Canucks, although the Canucks scored some terrific goals against him. Um, what do you make of this development? Because the Rangers are, you know, a lot of people consider them a Stanley Cup contender or at least a, a team that could make a deep run in the East. But if a lot of their strength is their star goaltender, then 
that kind of hurts. Well, I think the, another catalyst of this has been how well Jonathan Quick has been playing. So I don't yeah. want to all place it on the blame of Shostyorkin, but you know it, he's still a league average goalie. His numbers still bear out to even over the course of this season, but not what you'd expect from Igor Shostyorkin. So. Jonathan Quick got a assist on the overtime winner. Uh, Lafreniere's overtime it's, win the other night. It's He's why you really go good. out and get a guy like Quick, though, right? In case of an emergency or something like this happens, hey, look, we have a, a Stanley Cup winning goaltender who was having a pretty good season in a smaller sample size, but I'm not a, I'm not opposed to going with the flow and going with whoever the hot hand did is. Did you think? Will be did you think that Quick was going to be good in New York? Because I know Woodley is. That's one of his like sort of mea culpas on the ears. Like I did not see this working out, and it's absolutely worked out. Not really, no, because of how aggressive he is and how the systems he's played in throughout his career have really catered to his style of right. aggressiveness. It would have taken a lot for the Rangers to adjust to that. You'd think, but they're doing a pretty good job. He's got almost 12 goals saved above expected this year. Mukau. Uh, I'll do mine real quick. Uh, this just came out courtesy of the NHL Public Relations. So uh, watch out, Dakota Joshua, who leads the Vancouver Canucks with 145 hits. NHL PR has just announced that as part of the ongoing effort to provide the most accurate statistical accounting possible, the league has performed a comprehensive audit of the hits statistic. League-wide. Oh, okay. So Dakota Joshua currently leads the Vancouver Canucks with 145 hits. Second is JT Miller with 106. And I guess by the end of today, we'll find out if those were accurate or not. I assume that if they're putting this release out, it means like there were some wildly inaccurate hits. Hasn't that been known for years that some buildings will like... Inflate? Give, give, inflate or yeah. you know, like I get I'd like to be one of those buildings that has a high standard just like that wasn't a hit that wasn't a hit I will now like, that a hit yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah. now this I'm, is a knife do you <laughs> uh, I am very curious now I could have cared less before but now that the NHL is doing its own forensic audit I want to know what buildings are juicing the stats let's find the ones they remove and be like that was a hit come on I know I, I want to know right yeah. Who are the wimpy wimpy buildings that Dakota, don't that don't know hockey? That's not a hit. This is a hit. <laughs> okay, look out that. It's another timely reference from the Alfred and Bruff show. I think so that you've movie, played Hitty Hitty before. I think that that movie came out in 1985. <laughs> no, you know, it's so like that's a Crocodile Dundee reference. <laughs> Bro, I thought it was a Simpsons reference. Nine hundred dollar dues. Yeah, All actually, right. I saw Crocodile Dundee finally like a year ago. I'd never seen it what? before. What? I know. Really? I know. I don't know how escaped what? me. It passed through me somehow. Well, we're, we're, I know we're up against it for break, but it was we're really doing good. this now. It was great. Can you believe that? <laughs> okay, I'm glad everyone knows. I enjoyed that it. You enjoyed it. I recommend you watch Crocodile it. Crocodile yeah. so Apparently, it was around. a big deal in the 80s. Was there a big Australia obsession? Just so yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're going in that direction. Was. There was a time yeah. in our history where Australia was exotic enough to base an entire industry around. It's like, mm-hmm. ooh. The quality drink. Crocodile yeah. Dundee started that. I know. And then everyone started drinking Fosters. Yeah. And then... Uh, the Kangaroo Jack came there along. There was an Aussie Rules exhibition yep. at BC Place that they marketed as like, this is no rules. And then you're watching it and you're like, wow, there's a lot of whistles for yeah. no rules. Sure, there seems, seems like there seems to be quite a lot of rules. Also spawning yeah, you from- a pamphlet to discuss the rules. <laughs> yeah, no there, rules though. There was 40,000 people that showed up for an Aussie rules football game. Yeah. It was a brief flirtation. People yeah. wore leather cowboy hats. Yeah, the Simpsons put fun of that in that episode it. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yahoo serious. Yeah. I know what those two words mean, but not together. That kind of thing. Yeah. And then we all realized it's like, yeah, if you want the Australian experience, you just go to Whistler, and then it's the same. Pretty thing. much, yeah. yeah. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.